Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we'll find out if modernizing a peanut butter sandwich into a cake was brainy or just plain bananas. We'll also take one of Preheater's favorite desserts, the classic loaf cake, and jazz it up with some special ingredients. Finally, we'll settle down and sort out some snacks for lunchtime at work or school that's sure to put a smile on everyone's face. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, we have a big event happening here on September 20th in the States. Are you aware? I think that might be the release date of the Downton Abbey movie. Is that what you're thinking about? (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. You got it. (laughs) Yes. I don't know. Are you a big Downton Abbey fan as I was? I was, yes. Although I didn't ever finish the series, shockingly. Oh, okay. Well, here's your chance. I'm not sure if the movie is a continuation of the series a prequel who knows I haven't read a lot about it okay I've only focused on the important thing which is the desserts of Downton Abbey I mean (laughs) come on is there a cookbook it seems like there has to be a cookbook of the Downton Abbey stuff yeah there are a couple of cookbooks and the reason I started thinking about this was in my issue of Bake Magazine, Bake from Scratch Magazine, the September-October 2019 issue. They have a whole article on Downton Abbey desserts. So what are the Downton Abbey desserts that pique your interest? Well, um, the most famous one is called Mrs. Patmore's Raspberry Meringue. Ooh. And I don't know if you remember this scene, but the reason it's the most famous is this is the one where her eyesight was starting to fail. And so she accidentally substituted salt instead of sugar. (laughs) Yes, I do remember this. Yeah, so that didn't turn out so well. I'm hoping that the recipe has the actual sugar, not the salt. Unless you want to be really authentic with your theme party. Well, yes. (laughs) Yes. Oh, good point. Good point. Skip the authenticity on that uh, detail. But the article in the Bake Magazine was an interview with the food stylist. And so it wasn't as much about recipes as it was about talking about the history of the food, how desserts were different. I mean, I just thought small things like her mentioning that if you did have a cake, it would have some frosting or some icing on it, but not the huge amount of frosting and icing that we see today. It would be much more spare and simple. So I have looked at a couple of websites, and the one I really enjoyed was called Downton Abbey Cooks. And it's by Pamela Foster, and she's a foodie and a historian and a Downton Abbey fan. And she had a couple of recipes for some things I'm familiar with, like peach pie and apple tarts. But then she also had something called Queen Mary's Favorite Birthday Cake. Okay. And it looked like a sponge cake with some chocolate frosting. And then she also had a chocolate version for Queen Elizabeth. Just sort of some fun historical bakes. I would love to hear from our listeners if anyone is celebrating the movie release date, if they're going to celebrate with some Downton Abbey desserts. That's just what I was wondering. You could have a really fun theme meal before you went off to see the movie. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. 
You know, I recently saw an interview in a magazine here with the woman who plays Mrs. Patmore. Oh. And when she is out of costume, you would never know it. She's like 36 years old or something. Oh, I had no idea. Yes, yes. It was shocking. I kept reading the article and they kept saying, you know, from her celebrated role in Downton Abbey. And I'm like, who is this? Like, I just don't recognize her. (laughs) And then I like turn the page and they show her in costume. And I thought, oh my God, that is the power of filmmaking right there. (laughs) Oh, and the power of some good acting. I'm going to look that up. That's that's a fun fact. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Hey, Andrea, have you heard of a little free pantry? Uh, I've heard of a little free library. We talked about those for the first time back in episode 31, where you had stumbled upon one and found the Growing Up Chocolate Cookbook. I think we mentioned them again in episode 107 for my cookbook swap, but no, I have never heard of a little free pantry. I just love that you have the episodes earmarked. I know we talked about them quite frequently on the show, right? So the little free library concept, as you folks probably know are those hutches that have cropped up internationally and I'm not exactly sure how long that phenomenon has been going on but but quite a while maybe a decade or more and it's a concept about take one leave one as far as books and magazines go yeah the little free pantry takes that philosophy but changes it from books to non-perishable food Oh, so this is relatively new. The pilot project started in May of 2016, and it's already gone international. I looked on their website, which is littlefreepantry.org, and the hutches are mostly located in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., and Australia. The hutches look almost identical to the Little Free Library. So this would be sort of an alternative to taking food to the food bank. It would just let you maybe put one or two items out, maybe when you don't have enough to do a complete run to the food bank, but you still have something you think, hey, I could share this. I'm not going to use it. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. And according to their website, too, what makes them even a little different than food banks is that they really try to make a neighborhood connection. Yeah. They're really hoping to inspire conversation. And also, you know, they think they will work differently in different neighborhoods. So, for example, their website mentioned that, you know, in a high poverty area, the little free pantries might stock more basics, food and personal item basics. Mm -hmm. In a middle-class area, the pantries might stock, you know, snacks for neighborhood kids on their way home from school. Oh, okay. Yeah, or their example being like the cup of sugar or the traditional thing you might go next door to borrow from a neighbor. Right. But wherever you are, the philosophy remains the same, that it is free to both give and receive the items from your little free pantry. I love that idea. I love the name Little Free Pantry. That's so great. Yeah, so if you want more information, it's littlefreepantry.org, and you can read a list of FAQs and see where one might be located near you. They're very, very prevalent in the U.S. especially. And listeners, you know, we'd love to know if you have a Little Free Pantry hutch in your yard. This week, we are going to review the peanut butter and jelly poke cake from food blogger Jess over at The Sweetest Menu. I made this cake for my husband's birthday, which was last week, so I picked it especially because of his love of peanut butter. Right. I mentioned in last week's episode, episode 142, how this recipe grabbed me for a couple of reasons. It didn't include chocolate. Right. And it was also a one-layer cake, which you know me. Those are my favorite. 
<laughs> Stefan, why don't you start off and tell us your experience with making this peanut butter and jelly poke cake? How did it turn out for you? You know, sometimes the recipes that we do on the show just come together so lovely, and this was one of them. I loved this cake. I thought it was easy. I thought it was quick. It was a nice size cake. You just alluded to that by saying it was a one-layer cake. You know, unless we're having a really big family celebration or I'm having a lot of people over, I don't need a three-layer cake every week. But a one-layer cake, it's great. We can have it for a dessert, maybe have it for a snack, or put in a lunchbox another day, and then it's gone. So I thought the quantity on this was right on. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I cut mine up into eight pieces. So I had one, my husband had one, my daughter had one, my daughter's friend had one. So that was our four. Got it. And then I put four in a little box to give to my daughter's friend's parents. So I was able to give those away easily. It packed up really well. It sliced up really well. It's a nice little traveling cake too. So, I mean, we have done typical snack cakes in the past. And I guess that's the category I would put this in, even though it is jazzed up with a layer of strawberry jam and with frosting. So let's talk a little bit about the method. You have some unsalted butter and brown sugar, your smooth peanut butter, vanilla, eggs, plain flour or all-purpose flour, baking powder, milk. That makes up the base of your cake. Then you have some strawberry jam that you kind of drizzle on top while it's hot and then a frosting. So all of that came together very easily. I thought the instructions were straightforward. I did use a chunky peanut butter, Andrea. Did you go with smooth? You did, yeah. I did. I went with smooth. I had both, and you had mentioned that you might use chunky, so that's interesting. You know, that's just the one that I had. I think that those chunks were great. They added some extra texture. I was never taking a bite and thinking, oh gosh, this is too Mm -hmm. chunky for me. It was fine. So I'd say whatever you have on hand would work fine. And I think last episode, Andrea, you also mentioned maybe you have some cookie butter around. And I think that would work here too. I do too. Yeah. And my husband usually loves a crunch in a cake. So I'm kind of surprised I didn't use the crunchy. Maybe I'll do that next time. Or you know, you could also just put some chopped up peanuts on top when you were done too. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. If you liked that Mm -hmm. texture, I just thought of that now, but that would be also really nice. Did you use strawberry jam or a different type of jam? I did use strawberry. I mean, this was an entry into new twists on old classics month because it really was like a pumped up peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I have to say that's exactly what it looked like. It's what it reminded me of flavor wise. Oh, yeah. Yes. Strawberry jam is my husband's personal favorite. So I went and got a jar of that bone maman, which has become kind of the unofficial preheated jam. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Now, Andrea, one issue I did have, this is a poke cake, which in a traditional method, when the cake is still warm, but not hot, you pierce it all over with a skewer, and then you might, as in a lemon drizzle, pour on a sugar syrup. Here you are putting on this layer of jam. I did that in all of the instructions. My cake was warm, but not hot. My jam never really soaked in too much. I still had a really good thick layer on top of the cake. So I'm wondering how that worked for you. Oh, I'm so glad you told me that because the same thing happened to me. My jam did not soak in. It was more of a a layer between my cake and my frosting. Yes. I accidentally let it sit and cool for too long. So, you know, it says to bake it for 30 minutes and mine was done at 30 minutes. Leave it to cool for 10 minutes. Poke the top with holes all over. Yeah. And then you're supposed to put the jam in and then it says leave to cool completely. I think I misread that. And so I thought, oh, you just poke it 
10 minutes out of the oven, but then you cool it completely and then you put the jam on. So I reversed the directions a little bit and it didn't soak in. Got it. I kind of liked it in a way because, again, more like the peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you typically have a layer of jelly. So it replicated that, which was kind of fun. I was the only person of the, I don't know, six to eight people that ended up trying this. I thought the cake was a little bit dry. Okay. My husband made the comment, of course, he has no idea what a poke cake is or what it means. And so he made the comment, oh, you know, next time maybe you could uh, poke some holes in this and pour the jam over it. And it would soak down. (laughs) And it would soak in. Yeah. And I said, oh, wow, yeah, I could do that um, with a poke poke cake. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine that. Imagine that. I didn't bother to try and explain to him that that is actually what was supposed to happen. And I did warm my jam on the stove, so it was pourable. Uh, Maybe my holes weren't big enough or just something about the texture and the consistency of the jam is it just was not going to soak in. Yeah. And did you also use Bon Maman? No, I used some sort of organic raspberry preserve that I had in my fridge. Because you raise a good point. I also heated mine. But that jam, and I know several jams, or if you're making or if you are using jam that you've made yourself you can have some of those chunks Mm -hmm. and of course they will never go down the hole because it's just you know unless your hole is like the size of a teaspoon or something so I did have to kind of you know get those out of the way but since I did it when it was warm and you did it when it was cold and it wasn't soaking in either way I guess that's just a caveat to watch out for there I like you thought it still worked because it looked more like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich you had the cake jam frosting layer yeah I thought it was really fun it wasn't a problem that was the only little thing that I deviated a bit from the instructions accidentally and it still turned out just great. Now the frosting was more unsalted butter, more peanut butter, icing or powdered sugar, and then some milk to thin that out. I thought that worked great. I did have quite a lot of frosting left over, Andrea, which is not a problem because I'm here to tell you it's really good on pretzels or apple slices. (laughs) I had frosting left over too and I didn't frost the sides of my cake. I only did the top. So I think if I had done the sides, I might not have had as much left over. But like you, I'm not complaining because the frosting was so good. Yeah, you know, that's interesting you say about the sides because I also didn't do my sides. And I looked back at the picture on her blog and I don't think she's got frosting on the sides either. I think maybe her picture, it either is no frosting or it's more like they call it a naked cake where it's a very thin layer of frosting. Right. I just thought, again, kind of trying to replicate the whole sandwich idea that I would want to see the crumb of the cake because that's sort of like the bread from the sandwich. Yeah, like the crust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really liked this. My family really liked this. I thought it was a great cold cake, which you know earns a lot of praise from me, you guys. Yeah. So this was a big win. I really liked it. So thank you, Jess. Yeah, I love this as well. My husband absolutely loved it. So, you know, that's always fun when you make someone their birthday cake and they really like it. Of course. My daughter loved it. My daughter's friend ate her whole piece. She was quiet the whole time. (laughs) And she's kind of a little foodie. Like when she comes to our house, she almost always brings a baked good with her that she's made for me. So (laughs) those are the best kind of friends. I know. Like, um, would you like to spend the night again? So I was sort of watching her out of the corner of my eye, you know, not trying to put too much pressure on her. And at the very end, she said, I do not usually like peanut butter, but this may be the exception. Oh, (laughs) big win then. Big win. And so that is the family that I packed up the four pieces for. So I gave it to her to give to her family. And I got a text message that night from her mom saying, 
this cake is to die for and can I please get the recipe because I think it would really impress the people at my office and I think I could make it, you know, because she was talking to her daughter about how it went and she decided, you know, it was a single one layer cake and she could probably handle it. I had two thumbs up roundly about, so this one was a huge win in my household. And you know, when you introduced this last episode, you mentioned that it was really hard to find a peanut butter cake that didn't have some kind of chocolate component. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you are missing that chocolate component, I think this cake would be a good base. You could skip the strawberry and do a chocolate frosting. Sure. Oh, yeah. Good point. That could be mm-hmm. yummy, too. Yeah, yeah. Really good point. Yeah. This is my first poke cake that I've liked. I think I've mentioned before I don't typically like recipes named poke grunt, slump, garbage, you know, any of those words. Yeah, dump. (laughs) Any of those unappetizing words. But I tell you, after eating this one, I was like, you know, really when you think about it, like our lemon drizzle is a poke cake. Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah. I have readjusted my mindset and now I am a huge poke cake fan. Andrea, is it too cliche to call this the peanut butter wonder from Down Under? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure food blogger Jessica would be happy for us to do that. I I believe we're going to have a new show title right there. I know. I think I just named it for us. Okay, that part of the editing process is done. Oh, all right. Well, that one just turned out great. So that was very exciting. Moving on to this week's new twist on Old Classic. This week, we're doing a pineapple coconut curry loaf or a tea loaf. And this is by the Bake from Scratch blog. Andrea, why don't you tell us a little bit about this new twist? Yeah, well, I know we started the month with a banana bread, which is a tea loaf or a quick bread, and this is a tea loaf or a quick bread as well. But my thought is, since we're doing new twist on old classics, it just makes sense that loaf bread is going to come up more than once because it is such a classic. And what I thought made this one really different is that addition of the curry powder. So I love curry powder. I had never thought about baking with it until we made that butterscotch curry pie. Mm, Yes. And that one was a huge hit in my household. So when I saw this recipe, um, my husband loves coconut. I love pineapple. It had the curry in it. And I just thought, you know, this is looking perfect to me. Also, the recipe looks pretty easy, as with most quick breads. So unlike that banana bread where we had to freeze the bananas and thaw the bananas and drain the bananas and boil the banana juice, this is more of your traditional one bowl. You've got some butter, crushed pineapple, sour cream, granulated sugar, eggs, salt, the curry powder that I mentioned, and it's only a teaspoon, so not a ton, vanilla, some flour, baking powder, and then your sweetened flake coconut. So as I'm looking in the instructions here, Andrea, I'm laughing because last episode you mentioned that you were so excited to have your new baking pan, but that this recipe actually calls for your 9 by 5 again. I know. (laughs) I thought that same thing. I thought, well, I finally got a pan that is the size they're calling for. Now, I think what I'm going to do is go ahead and bake this in my new one that I've been using, which is smaller, so it's 8 by 4 Yes. And I'll just make sure that I don't fill the pan too heavy. If I've got a little bit extra, I'll just put some in those mini loaf pans that I have. 
Well, and I may take a page from you, Andrea, and make some minis. I have some events coming up where I'd like to gift some folks a baked good, so I think this might be a really nice one to do in a mini. And in my experience, I have found a full-size loaf recipe usually makes for me three of my minis. That's for me, too. I either get three. Okay. Well, and I, I have two different sizes of minis, so I have the... Four by six, I think they are. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's where I get three. And then I also have the three by one and a half. And that's where I usually get somewhere between seven and eight. Gosh, those are like the mini minis. Yeah, those are for yeah. sure individual servings. And uh, stay tuned. We'll talk about those in our bake sale segment later this month. Excellent. Well, the two ingredients that might surprise you to know that I'm going to have a challenge, although not an insurmountable one, is crushed pineapple. That's the first. That is not a method that you see a lot here. And in fact, when I have seen it, they call it Pineapple Crush, which just makes me smile. Oh, I like that name. When we had another recipe that called for crushed pineapple, was it the hummingbird cake, perhaps? That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I had trouble finding it last time and that I just bought the rings and crushed them up in my food processor. Exactly. But since I knew I was making this when I was at the grocery store, I thought, well, I'll just look and see if they had a, have it. And lo and behold, there were tons of crushed pineapple. So I wonder if it's a seasonal thing. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I think blitzing it up in the food processor will be my go-to as well. Okay, so after the pineapple, the other ingredient is the sweetened flaked coconut. But I would like to give yet another shout out to loyal listener Carolyn, who visited me and brought me three bags. So I am so set for any coconut recipe. (laughs) (laughs) I wondered about that when I saw this in the list, and I thought to myself, oh, Stefan may nix this one because of the coconut, but I didn't realize the Carolyn connection, so... Mm-hmm. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Carolyn Coconut Connection. Thank you very much for Carolyn, that. Carolyn, the Coconut Courier. <laughs> could we go on? We probably could. We could. One thing I wanted to point out on the method of this, Andrea, is that not only is the coconut incorporated into the batter, but it's sprinkled on top. Now, historically, whenever I have baked something with coconut on top, it burns really quickly. So I'm going to be keeping a very close eye on that to make sure it doesn't brown too fast. You and I are thinking the same thing because I actually underlined in step three the lightly cover with foil after 30 minutes. And I think I'm going to check even sooner because I have the same thing. Whenever I make my granola and I often put coconut in it, it can start to burn after 10 minutes. I mean, it's very thin. So Mm -hmm. yes, keep an eagle eye Mm -hmm. on that. You might want to put your foil on well before 30. Yeah, good, good suggestion. Thank you. The last thing I wanted to ask you about is what type of curry powder are you going to use? Do you have a specific favorite or are you just going to reach into your pantry and use whatever you have? The one I have in there now is a Waitrose organic curry powder. It's kind of what I would call my workhorse curry. There's nothing Mm -hmm. spicy about it. It is an everyday curry. Can I call it that? Yeah. 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 Are you Mm going to use something spicy here? No, I kind of thought about it, and I do have a ton of different curries. I think I'm just going to let my nose guide me and open up a few and pick the one that I definitely want one that is very fragrant and that has a lot of depth. I mean, it's only a teaspoon, so I don't want it to get lost in the cake. That's kind of the whole point of doing the new twist. But I also don't, I don't know, I, I don't want it to be overwhelmingly spicy. I had a protein ball the other day that I had picked up at the grocery store, and I hadn't really looked at the package too carefully. Yeah. I thought it was just chocolate, and I started eating it, and it was spicy, and I looked at it, and it was chocolate chili. Oh. I thought to myself, yeah, I don't think I'm a fan of heat spicy in my desserts. I'm okay with Mm. spicy flavor, but I don't, as you know, I don't want my food to hurt. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm going to be careful with my curry. And, you know, I think the nice thing about curry is it has kind of that musky, dusty, smoky flavor almost. And that's what I'm really hoping comes through here. Yeah. But also, it's going to be balanced out with really sweet pineapple and really sweet coconut. So I'm hoping it's going to play really well together. Oh, good point. Not to mention the sugar. Oh, yeah, that too. (laughs) Well, remember, we will have a link to these recipes in our show notes for this episode, which is episode 142 on our website, preheatedpodcast.com as well as in our Facebook listeners group, and we hope you all will bake along with us. Andrea, we are a few weeks into the new school year, and I'm sure you've got your morning routine down pat. (laughs) Well, I wish I did, but we are definitely trying. My daughter has taken more responsibility and ownership over both her breakfast and her lunch, which is making things a lot easier. Oh, yeah. And so my main job right now is having the right kind of groceries in our house and food prep so she can make good choices. Mm. Also, my husband and I both like to pack our lunches, so it helps the whole household if we have things all set and ready to go. I remember how lunch was a big part of our conversation when we worked together nearly 20 years ago. I know. I think it was a major reason we became friends. (laughs) If I recall correctly, you were great about bringing leftovers, so I often got to see what you'd had for dinner the night before. That's right. My husband and my daughter will eat leftovers. They both like them, but I have kind of a weird mental block around leftovers. I don't Mm. usually like them unless I take them and I turn them into something completely different. Well, my son eats hot lunch at school, and my daughter eats off campus most days, but on days she doesn't, she often packs up leftovers, and she especially loves taking soup or pasta in her thermos. And she gets that together herself like your daughter. I am totally hands-off at this point. Oh, so nice. You know, I don't actually mind helping get things ready. It's just that everyday grind that gets to me sometimes. Yes. Recently, my daughter's taken more interest in purchasing the food so that, you know, she can do the prep. So that's also making my life easier. And Stefan, I now have an official shopping partner when I go to Trader Joe's. (laughs) She scours the Fearless Flyer in advance, and she's ready with all sorts of suggestions. I shocked the preheaters in season one when I mentioned I don't regularly shop at Trader Joe's when I'm in the States. Yes, I know. Some of our listeners still haven't recovered from that shock. (laughs) I have to say, I do get many of our pre-packed snacks at Trader Joe's. So what if you don't have a Trader Joe's, Andrea? Well, for sure, you can make all of these yourself. And in fact, I probably should. Okay, here is my top five list of staples in our household. Number one, Okay. this is so easy, it's really embarrassing, but olives. We all love them. Black, green, doesn't matter. We love our olives. Number two, hard-boiled eggs. Number three, veggies and hummus. Number four, diced chicken and peanut sauce. And number five, applesauce. You have really great taste. Thank you. So some of our favorite staple items are, number one is fruit. I buy so much fruit and such variety that I feel like Carmen Miranda when I'm doing my weekly shop. (laughs) Number two is hummus like you guys, although we rely on a favorite store-bought brand. Three is pretzels, which are a bit different than our favorite American pretzels, but they still do the trick. Four is nuts, and especially peanuts. My son is really into salt and vinegar crisps, so I was really thrilled to find he will also eat salt and vinegar peanuts, and I consider them to be so much healthier than just a potato chip. Oh, I've never heard of that. Yeah, they're really tasty. There seem to be a lot of flavored nuts here in the same way, like you'll see a barbecue peanut, a 
chili lime peanut, the same way that you would a potato crisp. Yes, and I am a fan of the chili lime peanuts that Trader Joe's sells as well. (laughs) TJ's once again. (laughs) And I would mention that he eats those at home as his school, like many are nut-free. Oh, yeah. Um, And then finally, we love granola bars and dried fruit. And I should mention that a huge staple in our house is whatever I'm whipping up for preheated. So I often rely on leftover cookie bars, brownies, those type of things for snacks. Oh, yes. Good point. I do as well. Well, my routine is that on Sundays, that's my food prep days. So I usually make the hummus. I slice and peel the veggies and package them. I grill the chicken and cut it up into cubes. I whiz up the peanut sauce that I make in my blender. I hard boil the eggs. So I have a whole week of things that everyone can just grab and go. Nice. Obviously, I purchase the olives. Uh, I don't try and grow or make those. The applesauce can go either way. Sometimes I buy it, and sometimes a good friend gives me some apples, and I make it. Oh, I wondered what you did with that box of apples I gave you. Yes, consider yourself thanked. They were great. That no-peel applesauce in my Instant Pot is going to see us through quite a few snacks. How about you? What does your prep for easy weekdays look like, Stefan? Well, here in London, Fridays are my big online grocery shopping day. I get everything ordered for a weekend delivery. But before I order, I take a look at our calendar, see what's going on, and then plan my meals. Several years ago, my daughter became enamored of a weekly menu board in the kitchen at loyal listener Anne-Marie's house and asked if we could have one too. It's simply a whiteboard that I update after I place my shop and it lists what's for dinner. My whole family loves looking ahead and I also update it with what I'm baking for preheated that week. That's such a great idea. Of course, I have admired that myself when I have visited your home. I think I've even taken pictures of it. (laughs) Well, now that we've got all the healthy nibbles and planning ahead covered, let's get down to the good stuff. There's nothing like a little dessert to keep your kid interested in lunch or snack time. I agree. We usually try to keep the desserty type snacks to a minimum. For example, either include chips or a cookie, but not both. Yeah, good call. And luckily, as I mentioned earlier, my kids love fruit, so I can often get them to agree that's their sweet treat, especially when we have mango, grapes, passion fruit, kiwi, or berries in the house. Yeah, fruit is for sure the best treat for us, too. It's easy when school starts and we have lots of fresh fruit options at the market, and then we go through the apple and pear season in the fall. Of course, here in Washington State, uh, we have beautiful selections during the fall, And then we fall into a distinct lack of local fruit, at least, during the winter. (laughs) And what's available in the stores just doesn't look that great. And also, for me, when it's cold and rainy outside, fruit just isn't as tempting for me. Mm -hmm. And so that's when we often switch to pretzels or popcorn, two easy snacks that I consider healthy-ish. And the cool weather does mean you can pack items that are a little less delicate. That's right. And so definitely as... The cool weather rolls around. I'll be making treats like those mini peanut butter cups we made back in episode 99, the blizzard blondies from episode 55, and the peanut butter bars from episode 43. Oh, all so good. And don't forget, you can substitute sunflower butter or probably cookie butter for the peanut butter if you've got a school with restrictions on nut items. Oh, good suggestion. Do you do any baking for your kids' lunches? 
Oh, definitely. So in addition to whatever we're whipping up for the show, I also make a weekly batch of whole wheat banana chocolate chip muffins for my kids' breakfast. And after I've made a dozen or so of those in their normal size, I'll take whatever batter's left and make mini muffins too. And those are really the perfect size for a school snack. I also have to tell you the one thing my daughter considers a real treat, so I save it for special occasions. Tell me. (laughs) Croutons. (laughs) So I either save a few when I make homemade ones, or I occasionally buy a bag of those at the store, and she just thinks those are so delicious. Oh my gosh, those would be gobbled up in my house too. We are big salty snack people. I think it's Martha Stewart or maybe Ina Garten that has a roast chicken recipe that you bake on top of the chunks of dry bread and they turn into the crispiest, most delicious croutons you will ever eat. Oh, I'm looking for that. I've never heard of that. Sounds so good. Oh, yes. Do. You won't be sorry. (laughs) Well, my kids are always excited to see the cookie jar out when they come home from school, so I'll be stocking that this fall. But... We'll have to see how long I can keep it stocked over the school year. We're still in early days. That's right. We're about 10 days in, so only 170 more to go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sure we'll get some great suggestions from our listeners. Preheaters, tell us your favorite packable snacks for yourself or your kids. Drop us a message at hosts at preheatedpodcast.com or post on our Facebook listeners group. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the icing onto this episode. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and next week we'll find out if adding pineapple and curry to our tea loaf gives us the zing we're looking for. We'll also introduce a new recipe that combines two of our favorite desserts into one special treat. And finally, we'll dive into some bake sale bona fide desserts you can count on to be a bestseller every time. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at preheatedpod. And if you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe, and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our podcast. Until next time, I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.